0: Hi, welcome to Mimi. I'm Mel. I created Mimi as a safe space for creativity, a place for creatives to come together, get inspired and find help through accessible coaching, free resources and fun workshops and masterclasses on everything from branding, surface design, illustration and more. The Mimi podcast is basically a really good excuse for me to chat with amazing people from illustrators and designers to photographers, makers and more. In today's episode, I got to chat with John Klassen. John is an illustrator originally from Canada who now lives in LA. If you have kids or if you love picture books, I bet that you already own at least one of the amazing books he's worked on. His first solo picture book, I Want My Hat Back, was published in 2011 and he's then gone on to write and illustrate many more. My favourite being This Is Not My Hat, a story about a fish who steals a hat from a much bigger fish. We talked about John's creative process when it comes to writing and creating illustrations, how he loves to get inspiration from films, and the way he feels about drawing in public. Hint, he does not like it. We also chat about his work on the new kid series Shape Island, which you can watch on Apple TV, and his upcoming book The Skull, which I can't wait to read. It was amazing getting to know John, trying to soak up all the wisdom, and feeling very inspired to start writing more too. Enjoy! Enjoy! Hi.
1: Hi. How you doing?
0: Good. You're early. I like it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. Hold on one second. I'm going to turn. I have a space heater going. I didn't want to space heater up your audio here. Hold on.
0: You sound good though.
1: Yeah. Does it sound okay? I've got to roll. I won't roll the chair too. I promise, but. Um, <laughs> That's okay.
0: Actually. Does it yeah, sound all right yeah, when you're in? You you sound really good. And I'm okay. recording. Cause I did one the other day where we started chatting and I was like, oh, it's green. It's not red. It's not recording. So we're good oh no (laughs)
1: it's like how long did how long for no no it was
0: the first question so i was like "It's fine. let's start again and yeah it was funny
1: you look very comfy
0: yeah i'm in uh i'm in my living room actually because my daughter has taken over my studio for a bedroom which is fair enough uh right and (laughs) i thought it would be nice because my now where i am is just next to a room and i don't want her to wake up and start you know so i was like i'm just going to go downstairs and it'll be fine but i'm sure you know about this
1: yeah i know you well i'm in the garage which is a horrible place right now it used to be a cleaner studio but in the last like since covid even before that though we i haven't finished renovating it yet it's close we're getting a new floor in like next friday but because there's no the floor isn't great we've treated it like also a garage just a regular like where you put trash and <laughs> and just like I'm surrounded by crap and it doesn't feel like a professional space at all and okay. so everything gets affected but it's like two weeks away from leveling up into a place that I actually want to spend time so I'm, I'm looking forward to it but it is also it's not connected to the house I, I have to leave and go through the yard to get here and it's the only place that is imp- like not impenetrable to the kids. Mm. Um, they don't, they they can't get over here unless they open a door, which they can't open. So it's okay. (laughs) But I know the feeling. Yeah. Do you not get
0: distracted having loads of things around you when you work?
1: No, I think I've always, this is the, this is the, that's not the biggest space I've had, but I've always sort of liked to, or at least engineered a cluttered space for some reason. Whenever I get a chance to set up a room to work in, I just fill it with stuff. And I don't want to do that with this. I was trying consciously not to do it. And I think that when it gets done, I will try for a cleaner one too. I always admire other people who do this kind of work who have cleaner spaces, but I always just end up just with stuff everywhere. I don't know why that is. I'm 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 trying for at least to split the difference this time where there's less stuff. But do you ever see people who, who can do this like illustration? Of, I guess design is different, but like Whenever I see an illustrator with nothing on the walls or like nothing in the room, I'm like, how does it, how do they do anything? What are they looking at? And it's so curious to me, um, but maybe I'm changing and I'm just not as much into clutter anymore or something's up. But also there's so much clutter with kids. Maybe that's the other thing is that like when you don't, before you have kids, you can keep your living space pretty Spartan. And then your workspace is like this nest of stuff. And that's where that belongs. But now that we have kids, there's stuff everywhere all the time. And I want, that not to happen in this room. Maybe that's what changes. I don't know.
0: That's so interesting. But, you know, I think I'm one of those weird people that doesn't like to have stuff on the wall because
1: Mm -hmm.
0: when I work, if I'm looking or if I want to start something like, let's say, an illustration and I look up and there's stuff on the wall, then I'm like weirdly influenced by it. I and know. I it. think about that a lot
1: know. with color. Like if I have color stuff on the walls, I'm like, is that my, like, did I just color that green? Cause I've been staring at that green for five months or something. I think what I wonder is what would I start? Like, where would I pull stuff from at all? If I wasn't looking at something like it, it has to come from somewhere, but yeah, you wonder whether you do like a usual suspects type thing at the end where you're looking like you finish a book and then you look at your bulletin board. You're like, Oh, I just did my bulletin board here. That's what I, that's what yeah. I did. But. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. Okay, yeah. this is
0: amazing already. But okay, let's, <laughs> let's go back because I feel like we're going to, I love it. We're going to go on so many tangents. But let's go back to the very beginning. So you were born in Canada, which is pretty exciting. Tell me about, you know, little you. What were you into? How was it growing up in Winnipeg?
1: Well, I, I only grew up in Winnipeg. I was born in Winnipeg, okay. which is in the very middle of the country. Very flat, uh, very snowy most of the time. Hilariously flat. The joke is that you can watch your dog run away for like three days. It's, as I always liked that one. Then we moved after I was in, I think I finished pre-kindergarten. I'm not sure how old you are that I forget, but whatever that was, we moved to Toronto after that. I go back to Winnipeg for work sometimes because you do touring and travel and stuff. And I still have cousins there and aunts and uncles and things. And I'm always shocked at how much it buried itself into my head in those years, because when I first started drawing on my own, like in earnest, like doing illustration work, which was fairly late, it took a while of working at animation studios and stuff before I started doing any work by myself that I thought was mine. But I would draw a lot of trees and I was always trying to get at this tree looking a certain way whatever i would draw and finally when i went back to winnipeg for work with the books there's elm trees everywhere everywhere they're beautiful they're huge it's something particular to winnipeg that there's these streets lined with elms everywhere and i'm looking at these elms thinking like that's what i've been trying to draw i've been trying to draw an elm tree sticking out of by the way like a very flat snowy surface most of the time which is exactly that's just winnipeg and just even the way things are the light like the sunsets last for ages because the winter's the way that it is it just feels like so much of my aesthetic and the things i like to draw and just tonally what i what i enjoy thinking about is still in winnipeg it's still found there it's a very particular strange place but it's um it's very much in my my heart and my head i think still
0: that's so Um, interesting and it's also i
1: think canada (laughs) culturally canada feels like they kind of get things a little bit later at least that's how it felt growing up when i look at movies or things that are set in like the late 70s it looks like canada in the mid 80s or at least the early 80s from when i would have been there and i go back to winnipeg and there's still corners like that that still feel like they sort of got frozen then or something like that and so my aesthetic and things I remember from being a kid are often things that I think people associate with maybe five or six years, ten years back. But they look like the early to mid '80s to me when I was little. And so I think maybe even my sort of nostalgia or whatever it is I'm working on from when I was a kid is more throwbacky than I even knew.
0: It's funny because for the questions I was looking through your Instagram, and it's really I love your Instagram. It's so like messy and oh, like, like it's so funny everybody. and like there's a random. There's pictures. no organizing it's, principle to that yeah, account. Yeah, I love all, it, yeah. and especially going back a lot. Uh, and it's a lot of cats and a lot of the same pictures of you growing up. You've got two brothers, right?
1: Yeah, two younger brothers.
0: That must have been fun for your parents. Yeah. Three guys. Yeah.
1: My, well, my middle brother, the middle brother is only a year and a half younger than me. So we, it's hard to remember time without him. And we grew up everyone thought we were twins after a few years. And that's sort of how it felt too. We were very much joined at the hip and kind of the same size, like all of that stuff. He never felt like much of a a little guy to me. We were always sort of like arm in arm about that. And then the younger one, Justin, he was born in Toronto later on, but he has always been the more like physically adept of the three of us. Will, I guess, was more coordinated than I was, but athletically, I never had much interest or skill. And so it went backwards that way where Justin was able to, the youngest one was able to just beat us up whenever he needed to, or at least felt like he had to because we were always picking on him but will and i were always just sort of like we didn't fight a lot i think because we couldn't fight very well but also it just it didn't feel like there was much to fight about and then justin came along and mixed it all up and then we were all bruisers after that
0: (laughs) so I've come to understand that your mom seems really creative. And I wonder, what was the whole vibe in the family? Were you all very creative? Then you say you're not super like sporty. So were you very early on creative? I think so.
1: I I drew a lot pretty early on, or at least in grade school, I drew. My mom draws beautifully. She's one of these people that like, she doesn't do a lot of creative work. Um, like all the time. And certainly growing up, she was too busy with other things to do it. I don't remember her drawing a lot. She had a a box of art supplies that she kept in a closet and I was fascinated with it. It had like these little compartments for the charcoal and erasers and things. But it's crazy. I have these really isolated memories of her picking up a piece of paper and a piece of, or a pencil or and drawing, just sitting, you know, on a chair and drawing whatever she was even looking at. And it was, this would be separated by years between when she would do this. And she would knock out this gorgeous drawing, just sitting there thinking about something else and then put it away and then not do that again for another couple of years, as far as I could see. And she was always just very, very talented at that. But it wasn't something I remember being aspirational for me. I wasn't looking at her being like, I want to do that because it was so rare that I would see her do it. But it was around. You know what I mean? Like the idea of drawing and making things was at least that box of art stuff and just her having, even having that around was like, oh, okay. So it's a, it's that, that's a thing people do, but I don't remember it being something we did a lot. My parents were very supportive of me drawing and they always thought, you know, they always let me know that they thought I could do it, but it, it wasn't something that we did in the family. Um, it didn't feel like an overly creative, you know, I've been to houses that feel that way where there's stuff everywhere and there's workshop tables all over the place to make sure kids can, that wasn't how we felt. I I, I remember having a drawing table pretty early on because my parents I I wanted one. And so they got me that stuff. But my, my memories of drawing and making things was always very isolated. I always wanted a room to myself to do it. It almost felt embarrassing or private to do it. And that's still how I feel. I don't do it in this showy kind of group way. I like to do it by myself.
0: That's so interesting. I guess it's quite almost like meditate. What's that word? I can't say that word. Why did I start saying this? Now I can't say it. (laughs) Meditative. Does it feel like this? Is it like your bubble? And you just go into it and it's
1: your... Sort of. Yeah, I guess so. It feels quiet, certainly. Um, I had this talk. My mom was just visiting here. She left yesterday. And we had to talk about the art box, actually, because she still has it. And she asked if I wanted it. And she said, "I'm," mean, you know, she even apologized. She said, you know, I'm sorry I didn't really let you play around with that very often. I should have, in retrospect. And I said actually i stole that thing and kept it for years at a time in my room and i had this memory of having this was probably second or third grade um we had a big sliding closet door in my room and i had my room to myself and the two other guys had bunk bedroom the next door and even though i had my own room and with a door that would close and everything i remember keeping a little wooden desk in the sliding closet door with no light on in there and keeping her wooden box of things and i had a sketch pad on the little desk as a secret. And I would go in there and use her like little charcoals and stuff in the sketch pad in the dark. I would slide the door closed until only like just a little bit of light was in. So I could barely see what I was drawing. But that to me felt like what drawing, like what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be a secret. I didn't want, it wasn't that I was ashamed of the work. I think I, I, I was always liking what I was drawing, but the act of it felt like it should be secret. I shouldn't, no one should see me doing it. I don't know why that is, but it was the first time we talked about that. And she was like, you were in there drawing in the closet. And I was like, yeah, I don't know why that was just where, where it happened. But that was, it felt natural to me to do that. And even now with the books, we go to schools and, you know, you see hundreds of kids in these gymnasiums and stuff, and they want you to draw in front of them. I, it took a minute to get used to that, to be like, right. First of all, that you'd want to see it at all. But that also that I have to do this, I have to draw in front of people now. And it feels like a strange performance. A little while ago, Mac and I—Mac who writes some of the books that I do—we go on the road together, and we had a program set up where we were going to ask the kids to come up, so ask for a volunteer to come up and help me draw something. And so we did this, and I asked for hands—you know, who wants to come up and help me draw? And one of the kids, well, a bunch of hands went up, but the first kid who did it shot it up right away, and then I picked him, and his face changed, and he realized what he'd done. He—he—he was so interested in the idea of drawing but then he looked around and realized there were 200 kids in the gym and he was gonna have to go up and draw and i could tell he was walking up and he was like just diminishing in size as he got closer to the thing and he got to the front and he could barely pick it up he did like the pencil he did or i think it was a big marker so people could see i said to him like over the microphones we could take care of him a little bit i could be like you know what we're going to turn the pad around and you and i are going to draw over here in the corner. And then when we're done, we'll turn it around so everyone can see. And I added something like, because drawing is embarrassing and you shouldn't do it, you know, it should be stupid should be secret, something like that. So we could, you know, help this reason for doing this. And later the principal came up to us and said, you know, I don't appreciate that that you said that, that you said it was a uh, drawing is an embarrassing thing to do. I think that discourages, you know, the creative impulse in the kids. We disagreed. I think Mac and I both disagreed with the like. Because you're just trying to, there's everyone, everyone draws differently, everyone, some people do feel very presentational about it. But in the moment, we had to take care of this guy. But it came very naturally for me to say this, that it's like, you know, drawing as an act, it can be embarrassing. And what you're doing when you're making the books or anything creative is you're trying to put something out that doesn't embarrass you. The thing that, at the end should you the job is mostly to cut away the things that you find embarrassing to hold something that is the negative space around everything you couldn't do or screwed up right and so that's just how I make things it's how it's what the work is but finding another kid it was almost nice to find a kid who was also who didn't want to show off and draw in front of everybody who was also like I can do this if we just turn around um that felt like a kindred spirit to me
0: yeah I've never thought about all this before I don't I feel like (laughs) you like I feel the same way you do I don't it's not I, I hate like I remember having to draw illustrations during a wedding once where I had to draw the guest and I hated mm. it. It was oh, so like hard. Like a
1: caricature type thing where you had yeah, to do like well, a Yeah, Well I had to thing. draw
0: I mean I don't even draw that well. I was like, are you <laughs> sure you want me to do this? Like I do yeah. shapes like I'm very I mean my star's change. But you were since. set up with
1: a little table like to well, do I had this to move with? around. Had like a, I had
0: like a bit of um yeah oh like a had paper. Yeah, see- and people were when i see those and, guys God.
1: when i saw those guys growing up because they'd be at the fairs and things too i remember thinking it was a different thing it wasn't drawing as i understood it to be there was something else going on it was more of a magician's trick or something something rehearsed and they did seem to have pieces that they would you know slot in for every like features that they'd memorized that they were like well you have one of these kinds of noses or whatever it was and there was a catalog in their heads of what they would draw it didn't feel creative it felt more like an exercise a performed one and i just remember not relating to that at all my parents would be like well don't you like that that's drawing that's like what you do and i was like i remember thinking like that's not it's not at all i is the reverse it's like that like must have been so scary
0: yeah i hated yeah. it yeah people would be like oh show me show me oh what are you doing and yeah like, oh, i don't like this <laughs> no. i was like look it looks terrible and you're being judged yeah. and you're being like oh um but it's funny because i think it's making me think as well about how For me, at least, like when I draw, it's also like it's an it's an expression of how I feel and like what's going on inside. And and like Mm -hmm. you're saying, it's quite intimate. And yeah, to have to do it. Obviously, I had to draw the people. But in general, like it's the same for you when you draw things and stories and characters. It's you first need to see what's going to come out as well because sometimes it's just a brain doing you know doing the work I think
1: that head. took me a minute too is that that relationship with it that you're not actually even really understanding what it is you're doing while you're doing it especially early on in the project if you're just sort of casting around it is such an intimate thing but it's not even intimate in a way where you understand it you need time and space to like, you don't know what your brain is doing. Why is it? Why does it prefer this curve over that curve? Or why does it prefer the nose up there versus down here? Like, what are you doing when you're making those adjustments and choosing proportions and all of that? I don't pretend to know. I think I used to think I had to understand it and that my maturity was going to be growing as an artist or whatever, whatever name you put on it was going to be more understanding of that, was that I was going to understand more and more why I wanted things to be the way that they were on the page. But it's been the reverse, actually, in my experience, that the maturity comes in letting go of needing to understand that and just understanding that it might not even be any of my business why I do the things the way I do them. It's the reverse of what I thought. And maybe that's going back to being a kid too, is that when you're a kid, you're not analyzing the stuff. You're just drawing. You're just, you're not even thinking about you at all. And you want to get back to that. You want to get out of your head and just make the things that you like without any more analysis. But I think I expected the reverse, especially in college, where I was like, okay, as I keep going, I'm going to have more and more of an understanding. And you don't, you have less, I think. Mm. At least I do.
0: There's also that whole discussion that I always have with myself about the difference between like an artist will create for themselves And, Hmm. and eventually maybe sell to collectors or galleries and stuff. And what we're doing, which is more like commercial illustration where it's, we're expressing ourselves, but we also have to follow a brief or a story or something, you know, we've got parameters, which is something you've talked about, I think on different, I think on a podcast I listened to. I I need
1: those. Yeah. I don't know what the work is without those things, without an audience in mind or an age group or some sort of restriction I never understood how, like when I met kids who were in art college or something and they just had a little cubicle with canvases and they just were, you know, they were told to just paint for four years or something. I was like, what do you paint? How do you, where do you start? And I would have needed to trick myself, if I'd had that kind of a setup to be like, okay, well, I'm doing a series or something, some sort of structure to it. I was jealous of, of that kind of freedom in their mind. I didn't know what, what I I would have started. I've always needed to breathe for sure.
0: So I'm really interested because you didn't study illustration, you studied animation. So Correct. I want to know first how you went from loving to draw as a kid and your parents seeing it and, you know, being loving that and deciding to go into animation and thinking, oh, maybe I can make it's good you no, know, It's quite a niche thing It would have been what in the 90s?
1: Early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Early, yeah.
0: So what happened there?
1: I wanted a job. I think even when I was a kid I I I was always really interested in what my adult life was going to be like. Maybe every kid is. But mine my ideal picture was I think pretty straightforward. I I, I just wanted stability. <laughs> And I wanted a parking spot and a job and like a little apartment. And like, I just wanted like a very straightforward plan. When I found out that I liked drawing, it was like, as you say, like, I didn't have any impulse to like go to Paris or something like that and find myself or express myself. I never had any feeling of expression. Like I never had any sort of feeling like I have to do this this way, or I need to get my spirit out on the page or anything like that. All I wanted to do was be like a cog in a larger project that was that I did not define. And as soon as I saw because when we were little, when the, like the early 90s was when Disney had sort of found their footing again with the movies. And these animated movies were huge, these Little Mermaid and Aladdin and these movies. And with those came footage of people making these things. You would see the extra bits and people were at their desks drawing The Little Mermaid or whatever it was. And that idea that you could have this combination of a creative life with pencils and paper and all your stuff around on your desk. But you were also in service of something that was a job. You were as regular as a banker going in and doing this stuff. That sounded so perfect to me. It's all I wanted was not to have to initiate the thing, but that I got to draw all day for somebody else. I, that's what I wanted. And throughout grade school and college or high school, even aiming for that, I just never thought of, a, of an alternative. I never thought of working for myself. I never wanted to. I just didn't know what, I, what it would even be. I didn't know what I would want to make. And so... I was shocked to finally get into the studios and work there (laughs) and realize that I was actually much more particular about what I wanted to make and what I wanted to draw. It took a few years, but then my feeling of like, well, I want to do it this way became so strong. I was very surprised um, that it went that way because I thought I was a lifer for the other thing, for the job.
0: You, Like you said, you collaborate with Mac and you do collaborate with people still, but what was it about animation studios? It was just because there's too many people or are you too small of like your opinion is not like really... Know. it what wasn't
1: was it? As, it wasn't as volatile as that it was i think i it took a long time first of all i think i didn't expect the movies to take as long as they did even though i knew we would have been explained that that's how long they took they take three or four years to make them but it was also it was like a physical resistance it was like i'd been asked to draw things a certain way or use certain colors and i just couldn't do it and it was so weird that i couldn't it was like you know when you have like a shopping cart and the wheels are a little bent and it just will go to the left no matter how hard you try to push. To the, that's how it felt. It's just like, I'm going this way. And i it's not how I thought about myself creatively at all. I, I wanted to be malleable. I wanted to be a Swiss army knife for people who would hire me. And instead, I, I found I was extremely particular. And anything that deviated from what I wanted to do was really hard physically for me to do. I just couldn't make that adjustment. And so on the one, like, I was very glad to find books, but it felt like almost like a lucky sort of jump because I knew my ship was sinking in the studios, or at least I wasn't going to be very happy. I didn't know when that started, or I started doing work in the evenings while I was working on the movies just to get my own ideas out. And that was the first time that it happened too. And that work in the evenings became my freelance work. I, it got around and it got me book work and it got me commercial work or whatever else there was. And the more I did those things, the more it felt like, oh, this is actually a viable avenue I have. I didn't know that before.
0: I was just thinking about your boss or the person above you being like, is this green? I asked for red. What are you yeah. doing, John? <laughs>
1: Well, even just more just color. Like that. I don't use yeah. a lot of color, and so like no, no, <laughs>
0: yeah, no. I'm <laughs> so just thinking about the them movies, getting it's annoyed it's like, where's with all the you? color? Yeah, being like, why is this guy like a triangle? <laughs> this is not me. Yeah, like, you know, right. I, well, been that funny. was it too.
1: Is that I was in storyboarding before I was a designer because I was a, I was a storyboard artist at first for the studios, and then after that, I was a designer for like sets and props and things like that. But the story stuff was even more indicative of my limitations than the design was. I think on design, I was fairly flexible and could usually give them what they wanted, but on story, I was so hard headed. Right away, at a at a school, when I had no business being hardhead, I knew nothing. But they would give me scripts to storyboard, and I would completely change how you would approach it. They'd give me action sequences, and I would literally move the camera to a quiet corner of the city or something, and then you would experience the action like off screen. <laughs> I would just skip everything, and, I, and it, partly because I was nervous about drawing, you know, complicated things like that, but also it just wasn't interesting for me to show it. I liked implying things right away. I wanted to like have the audience, you know, do some work, or at least, you know, it was fun for me to suggest rather than to show. And that impulse doesn't serve you well as a a feature storyboard artist at all. It's about showing. You have to show everything. The budgets in these movies are huge. You don't have to cut corners or you're supposed to show everything. I was so resistant to it. I kept looking for ways to not show things and to just suggest that they had happened. It was a terrible fit. And so that's why I went into design almost right away. And as soon as I got into design, it was better. But then eventually, too, you're running into you know colors or palettes or design sensibilities that aren't yours and i just couldn't execute it i just had this other way of doing things it feels dangerous because you're you're limiting yourself you get very spoiled working for yourself now in the books if i ever had to go back and work for somebody else, again, I feel like I'd be very rusty and bad at it because I've been so used to now just getting to do the things that, the way I want to do them.
0: Yeah, so you wrote, I want my hat back first, right? That was the first one. And actually, that I wanted to show book. you, and I forgot them upstairs. I've got two of them. I love them. Uh, I think I prefer, this is not my hat. I think it's my favorite. Yes. But <laughs> I wanted to show you that they've been completely annihilated, destroyed. That's, oh, that's they, great. They're They're dead. They're literally dead. There's no cover. There's, I don't know what's oh, happening. Oh, that's
1: amazing. That's what you want. People bring those to signing sometimes. That doesn't sound like as rough as that, but they apologize when they get there yeah. because they're in such rough shape and you're like, you're ready to cry because you're so happy that yeah. to see them in such bad shape. The worst is when they're brand new and like people have obviously not read it. Them, yeah. Yeah. No, but love if them. they bring it and it's all full of stuff, yeah. you're, oh, that's the best.
0: Yeah. But I love them so much. It's so interesting to think that you were frustrated with your work and you got to start writing something that was exactly what you wanted to say and like it's funny what you said about having the action not in the frame. And yeah. the way you tell stories is it's just genius to me. And I think for the fish one, I think my daughter is only two, so she's not, she doesn't get it yet. But <laughs> I, I laugh so much every time. And yeah, my partner and I just, it, we just, we read them more than her. But yeah, my point was, how did you get to writing that first book? When did you think, okay, actually I've got a book in me and I want to do
1: this? It was a practical thing too. I'd been doing books for a few years, illustrating them. There's two or three books that came before I want my hat back that I just illustrated on my own. But by then I'd left, the studio work just to do books full time. I'd gotten a book agent and told him like, I want to do this all the time. Can we scare up enough work? And he said, yeah, but financially it makes a ton of sense for you to start writing your own. I think you can do it you should try. So I did try. And I had that cover actually fairly early on with the title and everything with the bear saying, and it was, I want my hat back. I'd done some greeting cards for a company who would wanted animals on the front. And again, I was super resistant. I didn't like to draw characters. I still don't like to draw characters very much. But back then I was very against it. I just drew chairs and rocks and I didn't draw anything living. I don't know why, but I gave them a bunch of greeting cards with chairs and rocks. And they were like, John, we can't, this is very boring. Can you please give us some animals or something? And I was like, fine, fine. And I gave them these animals that were just completely bored with the assignment. They were just standing there holding balloons and wearing party hats when they obviously had no interest in your birthday at all. But they were just like looking blankly at you and the thing said happy birthday. But I liked the bear especially because there was some sort of implied threat there. A bear at your party who doesn't want to be there is especially dangerous. And I had the title. I thought it was a little boy at first, but for some reason I loved the idea of a cover called I Want My Hat Back with someone on the cover not wearing a hat. I thought that was great. I don't know why I liked it so much. It just popped into my head. But I couldn't figure out what the story was or how to write it. And I written a couple drafts with this bear and a duck. And the duck was sending him letters that he had stolen his hat. And this was how to find his hat. But it was narrated and it was it was written like how I thought children's books sounded in the narration. It's very stiff in the narration, but also words I didn't have any room for it just, I hated the sound of it so much. I rewrote it and rewrote it, and I just had no story anyway. I was just trying to justify the cover, and I was so embarrassed by it. Again, that word where you're just like, I don't want to show this to anybody. This doesn't feel like anything I'm connected to. I'm not proud of it. I'm not going to send it out, and so I didn't, but I was reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy then. And he has this thing he does in his books, and his novels, where he doesn't put quotation marks around who's talking a lot. His punctuation is very spare, and to where he eliminates, he eliminates more than you think you'd even would. But it's very beautiful on the page when you see it, and you have to really read it to find out what's going on. You have to pay attention that some of them is dialogue and you don't know where it is. And I kept thinking about that, and I thought, You know part of my apprehension here is that i'm not even really sure how to use quotation marks or attributions when i'm writing i wasn't that versed in writing and so i was like i don't like it's so embarrassing i don't know how to do this Do commas come before the quote like what the heck how am i supposed to write this and so i thought you know what i can avoid all of that and i can even avoid narrating which apparently i i hate the sound of my own voice in a thing i just want to hear them talk i think that characters talking is funny i can write that but i don't want to talk myself and so the combination of that the combination of The Court McCarthy lack of punctuation and my not wanting to be a narrator at all. I just thought I could write it like a play. If the the animals are certain colors, I could say, you know, if the fox is orange, I could write his words in orange and so on and so forth. And I get out of jail so many ways with this combination. I didn't have a story, but right away I was like, I can write that. And I stood up, I think we were watching TV or something, it was in the evening, and I walked to the little studio room I had and just opened the thing and just started writing like that with nothing, no, no punctuation, no... No narration, no opening sentence or anything, just people talking. And as I was writing it, I was like, someone has to lie. If we're not getting a narrator to tell us someone's lying, then someone should lie and we can show they're lying. And like just in the space of like, you know, minutes trying to figure this out and trying to exploit that form, that formal decision to not have the stuff in it said, well, let's, let's take advantage of that. And then the story sort of fell out as it was, but I almost wrote it like as fast as you read it. And it was pretty close. I think there's one page we had to cut in the final, but what I stood up and wrote was that first book in the space of like 15 minutes, but it took, you know, like half a year of hating the drafts of whatever the heck else I was doing before the tension of whatever this thing that fell out, fell out. But it was very, I was very spoiled by the experience in retrospect, because it was like, how come they all come that quickly when you're ready? Why can't they just fall out that way? But it really was the negatives. That book was sort of the negative space of things I just hated doing about the work. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this. So what was left? The story that fits whatever tools you're left with when you've eliminated everything you don't want to do. That's why that book is the way it is. It had nothing. To, I didn't have an, a, an idea for a story at all. It was more an idea of how to write something that I didn't hate the sound of. It's
0: making me think of films as well. You know, I hate when you watch a film and they're just exposing everything. They're just telling yeah. you exactly what's happening. And you're like, I'm not dumb. I yeah, tell me right yes here. and make yeah. it. Yeah. And I think that's what's so great about your books is you're saying less, but actually you're saying so much. You don't need to show everything. And it's nice to rely on people's imagination. And, and, you know, and it's funny because I remember you said, I think in a podcast as well, like you don't like, and maybe that's changed, but you don't like reading and doing voices to, you know, no. and it's so funny because yeah. obviously I love it. I will be doing all the voices of all the animals. Yeah. And you I do know. it for
1: other books. I do it for books that aren't my own. For sure, but my own ones, I don't. I had this extension of that because I've always hated, sort of, not hated, but like, I've just never known what to do with my own books when I read them out loud in presentations and stuff. I'm always a little lost. And I've always felt embarrassed by that, especially touring with people like Mac who are so good at reading their own work. Mac writes things to be read aloud and he knows how they're supposed to sound. It's how he starts is he needs a sound out loud. I'm the reverse. I'm sending something out into space. It's not like, this is like one of those things you send out to Jupiter or something that's gonna keep going on in the universe. You're not gonna be there when whoever's gonna pick it up, picks it up. So you have to like make it bulletproof and comprehensive to any culture alien that might pick it up. That's how I feel about the books is that I'm not meant to be in the room when you're picking it up. I'm not supposed to be there. And that's why I've tried to tighten up so that you get it without me being, well, if you saw on page four, he was wearing the hat. Like I shouldn't have to do that and be there. And By extension, what the thing sounds like out loud, my brain hasn't done that. It's not what it's for, for me. And so when I do find myself in the room, reading the book, it's, it's kind of a surprise and it feels almost redundant. Like you're saying, it feels almost like too much information. I was supposed, this was supposed to be quiet. I was supposed to be gone. Me putting more information than I've put already about how people sound or what the emphasis is on a word or anything like that. If it's not in the book already, if I haven't called it out, I really don't know. It's not that I have this private information that I'm being jealous of or anything. I have no idea. It's just a void. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to make him sound a certain way. I just don't know what it is. And it took me a minute to realize that that was what was going on, was that like, I I didn't think I was going to be in the room with this book. That was not the contract.
0: Okay. So there was something I was really curious about and getting to know you as well. Now it's even more, I'm even more intrigued. You wrote that first book. So yeah, you illustrated some before, so you had some success mm-hmm. with that, but that really, that first one blew up and became really popular and successful. Yeah. And then you had to write the other ones. And I'm always <laughs> it's the same thing as the film. We're coming back to film. I come back to film a lot
1: to, as a starting point for these things. Like I find I'm much more comfortable referencing a film in my head when I want to start a book as far as how I want it to feel. I don't want to rip off a picture book I know already or even a novel or something but if I think about a movie I want it to feel like I'm off to the races pretty fast oh
0: that's so interesting so you think of film
1: not the first book the first book didn't have that yeah. as they say first book the references were like McCarthy stuff or whatever it was how to write it but the second book the fish one was very much supposed to be like Psycho. Oh, (laughs) really? Maybe that's why I
0: love psycho. Maybe that's why I like it in a weird way. It's a
1: guilty run. It's a guilty, just like the first half of that when she's in the car, she has that inner monologue. She's or it's she's like thinking about what he would say. Remember the boss, she's stealing all that money. And it's hard to know whether she's whether the movie is letting us hear what's actually going on back in Phoenix or whether this is just her paranoid thought. But it's such a great, beautiful sequence of her just driving through the night and sort of trying to figure out how to feel about it. And that background guilty thought sort of monologue going on back there, but also just that she was doomed. And that she is doomed in that movie and i and the space after she's killed is so weird because we've been with her the whole time and that trick was what i wanted to try too at the end of it where he's gone he leaves us our narrator our way into this story has been vanished and we don't spend too much time in the book after that it's only two or three pages but how does the book feel when your main when your focal point has been removed now you're alone i was so interested in in that that movie, I feel like, almost breaks then, but you still want to hang on because you're so fascinated formally with Hitchcock has done there that he's removed your main character. Um, I don't think I had the strength or the courage to do a whole other half of book without our main guy. But even just those few moments you get at the end it was very much from psycho. Yeah.
0: It's so interesting. Third book uh, was like that too. It. The
1: third, the, the the two turtles with their hat. Yeah. That was supposed to be the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Do you know that book, that movie? It's an no, older, I don't actually. older one, but it was this, it's these three guys out in the desert looking for gold and the tension that would happen when you're in the middle of nowhere and someone finds gold and just like that immediate rivalry that the three of them have and they kind of go crazy. But the beautiful part about that movie is that everybody ends up with nothing at the end. And I really wanted that ending. I wanted to try and engineer it so that no one had anything at the end that they had sort of, I don't know. They've lost it somehow. And that that's what I thought I was writing when I started that book, the third one. And then in the end, um, it didn't work. I, I wanted the two turtles to be like against each other and it wasn't working. It was feeling too mean. And especially that they ended up with nothing at the end, just felt so bleak. I just didn't like it. And so it was like, well, what if I did treasure the Sierra Madre where they actually liked each other? <laughs> and that was sort of the stakes was that they might break up. And uh, that changed the whole thing. But it it very much started with that movie. So
0: how did you feel, though? Because we've talked about your process and how you like doing things. And when you had to write that second one, were you a bit scared and like, oh, wow, this first one has been amazing. And what am I going to do now?
1: Yeah, I fully well, I had signed a three book contract with Candlewick, my publisher. And that first one was when they bought it. I handed them the first one. And that was the beginning of it. I already finished that book or at least I'd roughed it out. Um, and so they they said, well, buy this one that's finished and another two as, and that's the contract. And so I thought I was going to make three books with those same characters, with the bear and the and the deer and all those guys. I really liked that collection of guys. And I thought we should just reuse them in different situations. I really like it in there. And then I tried oh, four or five different complete book ideas and none of them were working. And I found I was just copying the rhythm of the first one too hard. And it just it felt like we were going back to the well. And I was just... I wasn't as into it and I didn't understand the writing as much. And I was very depressed because I thought, well, this is, I understood so much the writing the first one and I thought it was mine. And then I just couldn't get back in. I didn't, I found I didn't understand what I'd done at all, or at least that's how it felt. And so for like at least a year doing that, trying to find and sending these things into the publisher, but also caveating it in the email being like, I don't think this is it, though. And so finally, my art director wrote and said, you know, if this is tripping you up using the same characters and stuff, you don't have to just do another book, just do a completely different thing. And so I said, okay. And to that point, I was like, let's do the exact opposite thing. Like, let's turn the book sideways, literally. And let's, instead of dark characters on light, let's do light characters on dark. And I did a book called 10 Bad Fish, which was about a gang of fish that sort of ride into like Western style into a sort of a town of fish in the water. And they're terrorizing everybody with this refrain of being 10 bad fish. They get bolder and bolder. They're small fish themselves, but because they're, there's 10 of them, they they can do this. And they keep terrorizing larger and larger fish as they go until they finally wake one up. that's huge. And they sort of realize what they've done once they've woken him up and made fun of them or whatever it was. And they turn around and then the big fish begins to eat them as they're retreating and says, seven bad fish, six bad fish. The leader of this gang has stolen a hat at the beginning. As a sort of a nod to the first one, he's stolen one of the little fish's hats and he's wearing this little blue cowboy hat. And the last page of that book was the leader wearing his little hat waiting for his turn to be eaten but we don't show that we turn the page and the book is over and i sent that in and my editor liz kind of wrote back she's like we yeah it's it's good it's a little heavy though isn't it and i was like yeah she's like i'm not really laughing a lot everyone's kind of mean to each other and I was like, I know, I, I I agree. And she's like, Well, what's your favorite part of this book? Like, what like let's try and find the levity in it a little bit. And I said, My favorite part, weirdly, is they end where he's there's one little fish with a little hat, and there's a big fish behind him. And she goes, Well, maybe that's the, maybe that's the book. And that ended up. I was like, Well, okay, let's scrap the rest of it and let what's there. And then as soon as we we talked about that, I thought of doing a monologue. And again, it was a trick of the writing. I hadn't been like I was doing dialogue with that earlier ten bad fish story. Everyone's talking to each other. But then as soon as she said that, and as soon as we talked about just doing one fish. I thought you could do it like the Telltale Heart. You could do it like that, where it's a confessional. It's a it's a guy trying to justify and just talking to us and nobody else is talking. And then as soon as it became like Psycho meets the Telltale Heart, then it was like, all right, another 20 minutes, I think. That night, it just wrote itself. But it took this crazy bunch of dead ends before we got there. And then I sent it in that night. I wrote it basically as it stands, a couple tweaks, but for the most part, that was the story. At like two in the morning, and I woke up the next morning and read it again before I'd heard back from my editor. And I thought, oh, I've read the same book. This is, this is, I want my hat back. Someone steals a hat and is killed at the end for it. And so I wrote her that and said, I'm so sorry. I sent you basically the same book as the last one. We can, let's scrap it and keep moving. And she wrote back saying, no, you know, I think this might work. I think we could pull this off. There's this different book. And I thought that because the plot was the same, basically we, we couldn't do this. But uh, she said, no, let's try this. And so it was a very accidental, you know, that they had all ended up being about hats. I didn't expect that at all. I thought the first one was going to be about a hat. The next one would be about something else completely. But we ended up with this really spontaneous series instead.
0: Yeah you're definitely known for hats now that's that's and now
1: player yeah player. somehow it just happened that way it was it was not the plan I promise we did not have that <laughs> idea at first
0: it's so genius though because animals don't wear hats and, and no that's that was the in. funny part yeah <laughs> that's what's funny about it as well it's like a
1: fish and there's no other hats in any of the books like my conception is always that they've found these hats and they don't really know what they are or like maybe there's just like these weird talisman type things that in the forest someone some hat blew in from somewhere and it's very special because they've never seen one before and so the universe rules there were always appealing to me that there was only one in each book
0: there's something i wanted to chat to you about which i watched a video on youtube of you drawing one of your turtles with a hat (laughs) and i always look at comments on youtube because i don't know it's just funny to see. oh i never not on
1: my own i could never did you you know okay
0: there was two really good comments and this one guy was so outrage saying that oh and he can make money drawing like this and i'm an artist (laughs) and like <laughs> Why is it stitching to people and I was just thinking oh this is so funny how this guy is Well, like he was angry that it was so simple? Yeah. He was like, how is that drawing? Like, I'm an artist and it's so hard drawing. Like, oh, It no. was so... F- oh, no, but no. it was hilarious. Like it. Yeah. And I thought it's so interesting how he's missing the whole point. But how do you feel about it? Do you have people coming to you and be like, but your things is... Because I love that it's... They so don't get angry at
1: me to my face anyway. Maybe that's happening in the background. No, I don't think I don't so. I don't, I don't want you to start uh,
0: overthinking this. It was just this one guy. No, no. It reminds <laughs>
1: me of something, though. Um, there's a designer in london who i've liked for a long time named daniel etok e-a-t-o-c-k i like his work very very much and I'd, i'd found it back oh boy like during during movie studio times i think um but i remember seeing a talk that he gave or something on youtube or somewhere and he got some questions like that too his whole thing is that like not to sort of summarize him or anything but he often does work that doesn't require that he make anything he responds to things that are already done he has a way of framing something or contextualizing something that exists that's creative and that's the work and it's so interesting to me that that's it that's a full complete idea for instance he had a whole series of like trees that had been broken that he saw you know like new trees along the street then they'd be knocked down or something. And he would take a picture of it with the tree straight up in the frames so that it looked like it had been righted by the camera. But stuff like that, where it wasn't, he hadn't made anything. He had just found a way of presenting a collection of these things. And in, even in, in the fact that they were a series was interesting. Anyway, he was giving a talk and I remember him getting questions along those lines where people were sort of angry at him. Other designers felt like they were almost upset that they were like, do you think you're better than us or something? Like that was the tone. And he was like, what are you, what? And he, like, you could tell, uh, maybe he'd feel these before because he kind of had responses for it. But I remember feeling so strange about it because it was like, that's the kind of work I'm most jealous of, is when I see someone doing something where I was like, well, I could have done that. That's what I want to make. I want to make, like, I feel like as I keep going, I want to make work that feels more and more like that, where I'm not impressed, or at least I don't aspire to be technically proficient. I like things to to look a certain way and I work hard so that they look the way I want them to look. I was never jealous of the kids who could draw extra beautifully or extra technically well it just wasn't where my goal was whenever I saw something that was done simply that was what always put me on my like I was like I could have done that if I'd thought of that I could have done it that's the stuff that you're jealous of that's what you're going to try and make and so more and more the books become that where they're just and only on my own by the way when I whenever I have to illustrate somebody else's work I find I get much more ambitious with color and line and or at least the drawing and the whole thing but whenever I get to do it on my own more and more and more I'm trying to do less and less because that's just what I'm most excited by. I get much more excited by two things on the page versus a hundred things on the page. If I can pull it off, if I can pull off two things, I'm so much prouder of myself than if I can pull off a hundred things. So I don't, if you're not working that way, if if you are the other way where your your goal is to be technically proficient, I can see you being pretty upset with me. And it happens often that I, I talk about the books to people who don't do this for a living and they're like, God, I thought you were just out here like, you know, with the easiest gig in the world doing five pages of turtles and calling it a day. But it, te- it seems like you're actually really working in there, or at least in my head. <laughs> But I don't blame anyone for not understanding that. They're not in here with me doing this. And so if the impression is that I'm not doing very much all day, that's fine, because I don't think you should have to understand that. But for every page, there's usually, you know, a couple hundred that are on the floor that I didn't like. So if that helps him feel better, then I hope it does.
0: (laughs) But I think it's all about people prioritizing process or like hardship Mm. almost of like having to spend ages on something instead of ideas and creativity and things like you said like a lot of what we do it's you're always working in the background your brain is when you're. i think
1: that that is correct and i think that that is a division i find even with other illustrators where i do not have any romance about the process at all i don't have any i don't fetishize tools or 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 my workspace even or any of that stuff anything that isn't the page I do not care about. And I don't like we're doing a Mac and I are doing a show, a gallery show, a place in, in South Korea has asked us to send over some stuff. And so we're doing it. And they I've asked for all these roughs and all these final illustrations. And I, I called them, and I was like, look, I've got bits and pieces of like things I've scanned and photographed that I'd assemble digitally to make the books. But nothing I have physically is going to be interesting to look at, at least. It doesn't look complete. Nothing. I don't have anything. And they're like, you've been at this for 15 years. You must have something. I said, no, I really I don't keep it or I don't keep it well. And if I I do, it's just pieces. It's just it's all on the page. Everything I care about is just in that trim size. I don't care about the other stuff. And I I didn't expect that of myself either because it's such a beautiful process when you do see people with beautiful originals or a beautiful setup. I admire it and I get jealous of it in a different way, but I've never I've never tried for that. It's not important to me. I like, it's like what you're saying too, where this business is about reproduction. We are in the business of making something that's going to be mass produced. It doesn't matter if I've got a beautiful original on the desk, if I don't, but if the page has it printed a thousand times, that's the, that's the work. And that's always been, what's interesting about it to me too, is that you can hide your process then. If it doesn't work an inch to the left of the book, that doesn't matter. They'll never see it. I love that. There's a great freedom in that.
0: Yeah coming back to a uh, little john in the closet
1: little john just, in the closet. Uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it. there's secrets they're not, they're not fun secrets, that. but they're mine yeah
0: but yeah i agree i'm the same and like it's funny i see people keeping loads of sketches and stuff and i just throw away everything like i just yeah. do something and like i don't care like it's, it's the process but it's really interesting yeah. but i'm sure that guy is just really unhappy and probably a troll on youtube you know oh. So I,
1: well, yeah, I mean, it's not, I remember the one you're talking about. It wasn't even a good turtle drawing. I, as I said, I don't draw well in front of cameras or people. It's never, I don't remember that drawing being especially good. So I don't mind. He didn't like even that drawing, but yeah it's not this I don't think we're after the same thing it doesn't yeah. sound like you it. know what I was thinking
0: about watching that video is that you're drawing with a sharpie and I was like oh you know sharpies are amazing because they create such you know Old strong lines, lines. Yeah. and I love that it's just so easy to get a result quickly of what but I was like oh it must mm. be healing you know, like, that stinks I was just thinking about the smell of the sharpie while watching oh, the this, video no I usually sign <laughs> you like it
1: oh, not as bad as other ones they've get I usually mm-hmm. sign books with sharpies too if yeah. we do a signing because I can draw very simply and cleanly that way I do like sharpies um, I, I love sharpies it's lately I've been drawing with something called like a Sharpie Magnum and those smell terrible. You have a headache at the end of the presentation there because they're even thicker and they're like for bigger schools, if there's a lot of kids, you get a bolder line because you can't even see a Sharpie line 10 kids back. And so the, the heavier ones, though, you have to take an Advil at the end of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about. That's why like, I really like, and I do it less now, but I used to love drawing with black ink because I, there's yeah. something so satisfying about having a white page and drawing a line, you know.
1: All of those early hat books were done with black ink that I colorized digitally. All of the pieces were black and white Chinese ink really cheap stuff I would get in Chinatown here. Um, But it was always, I don't think in color. I think I'm interested in value and noise. And so ink is beautiful for that and it also behaves very well on relatively untextured paper which is what i like to work on because the books they're printed on are going to be untextured i don't want a watercolor texture behind a a printed on a smooth page so ink behaves so beautifully with that stuff i love working with ink.
0: okay i wanted to ask you a little bit about your collaboration with mac i want to hear more about how it works Hmm. and how if you if you like that process as well
1: i do yeah i think i get braver with mac For sure. Or I just go to places I wouldn't think of going otherwise. And it's he, I think, because of the way he works, um, he doesn't illustrate, obviously. And so he puts out more work than I do. And I think that gets him. I'm just beginning to understand that because I have a few more books out now than I used to. And so I'm not as precious about each and every one. They don't have to be, in my mind, like the best thing I could have. You know what I mean? The pressure's off when you have a few books out. But Mac puts out so much work that he's already felt that loose for a long time. He's able to experiment and take the pressure off of himself because he's got so much work going and, and spending time around someone who works that way is really nice because it trains you or it helps you to do that yourself. The way he writes and, and his his comfort level with words and writing um, is very different to mine and I'm not sure that's going to change anytime soon. I'm very tense with my writing and really I'm terrified by writing and Mac loves to write. It, he feels natural in, in the water and, and you could just see him trying out things and then scrapping it and going this way and that way, and I'm the exact opposite, where I feel like I've got this one block of marble, and if I hit the wrong point, the whole thing's going to fall over. And so we, we, we're very complementary that way, where I will rein us in and try to drain the whole thing. Mac is up for a joke on page four that I'd be like, I guess, sure, we can do that. And so I think the combination of those two things is really fun. Um, but we end up collaborating a lot, even just because we spend so much time together now. We've had so many projects together that we have to either take on the road together, or we, we've done a television show now that we were just on the phone constantly about. And we're just friends, and so we talk almost every day. And so just by nature of talking every day and working in the same field, I think <laughs> every now and then we're like, okay, well, let's take a break. Let's, you know, let's do other things for a while, and not work together so much. And then by you know, Wednesday, we've got another book plan because it's just we've been on the phone. But I think it's all, it's very nice. I'm not sure. It's very rare, especially in books, I think, because it's such a small group that needs to make these things that you would collaborate with someone who isn't interested in the same piece of the work as you are. Mac and I don't want the same part of the book to ourselves. I find that if I take a manuscript of his, he lets me do what I want to it. And I'm fine with him having had that first stab at it too. It's almost, it's a game. You're like, well, watch me take this and run with it. And like, you just, you want to, he doesn't feel threatened by my undermining it. Sometimes if I'm going to try and make fun of the text a little bit somewhere, there's nothing he's done with it. He's been, he's been at it long enough where he's, he doesn't feel threatened by that at all. And it's a great gift. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure I could do the same thing with a text of mine. I'd but I'd want to hold on to it the whole time. It's just, he's very strong that way. And it's very lucky for as an illustrator because you get to sort of play around yourself on top of his work. That sounds
0: really fun. It sounds yes. like you're trusting <laughs> yeah. each other as well a lot. And that's good. But, um... Yeah, so let's talk about Shape Island because...
1: The show, yeah, yeah, I watched
0: it and I love it. How did that happen?
1: There are the books that Mac and I made with those characters in them, but the the show actually precedes those books. We were approached by a guy who had some sort of a connection at HBO long ago, and he wanted to make children's things for them, but he didn't know anybody who made children's things. And I think him and Mac had the same lawyer or something. And so he came to us and said, you guys got any kids ideas? Well, I heard you make kids things. i had had a video game idea with these guys in it, with the shit with triangles and squares and circles. And it was like sort of a, it was even before phones. And so it was meant to be on your browser or something. And I'd gone some steps into developing it, but then it had all fallen apart, but I still had this stuff. And what I liked about it was that they were all at war in my game, they were battling each other. But the point of the game was that you weren't supposed to favor any one side or the other based on aesthetics. You weren't supposed to think that the triangles should lose or the squares should win. There wasn't a good and evil side visually. It was just that they were dedicated to their own aesthetics. Triangles had triangle houses and triangle sails on their boats and all that stuff. I liked the neutrality of it. I liked that you weren't going to favor. I've never liked character design in animation or anything else that said like, well, this guy's evil, obviously. Look at him. I've just never thought that was any fun it's again it's kind of redundant information if he's going to do evil things that's how we know he's evil we shouldn't make him look evil also and so my interest in neutral character design was this this game but then we had this show opportunity or at least to try and pitch something and so i brought this up again I said well you should, we should do this We could if we have a series we have time to explore these characters if they were visually neutral that's really fun like I don't see that very often in television usually there's a lineup of kids in a kids show or whatever it is and you can tell who's going to cause trouble right away uh, or who's going to be the hero who's going to be whatever it is the comic relief and all that stuff but with these guys you know very little visually and so maybe that's interesting and so we developed the show for a long time and pitched it around and it had these horrible adventures out there in the pitching world for years until we finally kind of gave up And we thought, well, we had these guys kicking around. We know enough about them now that we've written, you know, pitches and stories about them for the show. Let's just make books out of them. We know we can get a book made usually. And so let's pitch the books. And so we pitched the books and wrote three stories. And that was the books. And then... Years later, Apple Television, one of the ladies there who heads it up, had been in one of the pitches that we'd done in another place and remembered the show and called us and said, I'm here now and we're we're looking for stuff. Do you guys want to come and pitch the show here? And we we thought it was over. We thought it was all gone and we'd, we'd done the books and that was it. And so we brought it back and sure enough, they liked it. And then it was it was an amazing thing to watch this stuff finally, like after all that time. I remember the first time we saw a, like Triangle walking around. There it is. That's that we've been having it in our head for like 10 years. Um, it was really weird. But yeah, that's how it all came about.
0: It's really interesting, though, because I'm thinking, how did you feel about it? Because there's... The um, show? I thought, yeah, because when I watched it, I was like, there's a lot of information. Convert to like your books, you have mm. to show how they walk, how they talk, mm-hmm. how they... You know, there's the, the banana, there's the shapes, but there's the world around. It. And I thought, ooh does John like that there's so much to it? There's so
1: much to it. I think, well, there's. you could go any which way. I think, because we were fairly involved in the development of it, but I think we understood right away, and Mac understood this better than I did even. I said this to him a little while ago, that if I had been charged with writing this show or heading it up in any sort of authoritative way, which I wasn't, that we would have ended up with something so quiet and so it feels quiet now compared to anything other things that are on for kids but i would have done <laughs> no one would move for like minutes at a time i don't think and like you just have this weird ambient simple thing that i don't think would have been marketable frankly i think that like it's not what they bought and it's not what they wanted us to make mac i think it sounds much more like mac to me the show does how they talk to each other and and how gregarious they are and and how uh just yeah it's very much a show about Characters talking to each other and and working through a relationship and also just things happening to them. I think I err on the side of nothing happening probably too much for feature shows and things like that. I like what it is and I think that watching it now it feels like a complete thing in and of itself. Um, and we have the books which are very limited. You know, Triangle, especially the first one, I really love. I think it's one of the best things Mac and I have done. Is that first shapes book um, because there's almost nothing there and it's really funny but the show could never do that i don't think that any viable show that they were going to make could be that way we had pitched early on that we would have interstitials between the episodes that felt more like the books that were very simple almost no set and little physical gags but that fell by the wayside fairly quickly but it's still in my head is possible it's just that i think that for what the show is now i think is the Probably the most entertaining kind of combination of all those things. And I'm still pretty proud that we ended up with the characters that we like the designs of the characters themselves, how little you know about their background, but what they're doing on this island. Why are they there? Wh- where are they from? What are they made out of? What is this place? We don't explain any of that. And the omissions there, I'm really proud of that we didn't have to get into that. And that we only have three characters at all. Most children's shows have to have like tons of characters and things and like villains and heroes and cities blowing up and things. We have none of that. We have these three guys. It's basically episodes of Seinfeld. Just these three characters hanging out and making each other angry and not learning nothing by the way which was another big feat that we had to we had to fight for that i think and the show has that as much as the characters talk and work things out very little is learned by any of them and that's pretty rare in children's television too is that normally you have to have them at the end being like well that's why we shouldn't have stolen and it's something like we never have that moment and so we felt like we won a lot of battles we lost a few certainly but in the i think it feels like a cohesive thing in the end and it's i think it does feel distinct
0: so i've noticed that you've been experimenting with a lot of different like materials <laughs> yeah. and i think it's really cool
1: i it's i think that part of that i've been working with wood a little bit and other things and part of that is just it's so interesting like we talked about before that mostly i'm in the business of mass production right you're in, you're, you're sending things off to be printed a million times on and put on a boat to spread around the world And you're never really holding the thing, you're holding one of the things. And I've always liked that. It takes some of the pressure off of it. And it's really fun to make things that are meant to be reproduced. But there's also, because of that, after years of doing it, if you've made a little house out of wood, even if it's not very nice, you know you're holding the only one and it's just there. And there's no way to reproduce it. There's no way you would send it out or even photographing it doesn't really do it. You're holding the thing. And there's such a rush to do that. I wouldn't want to spend my life that way, but as a counterbalance to making things that are meant Meant to you know, fly out into the world to just hold the only one feels really interesting, and it's really a rush to, to make that stuff. Even if it's not like I don't work with wood very much, it's all problem solving around what I don't know how to do. But even on that, like I don't owe anybody this stuff. No one's asked for it. It's just mine. And so clawing that back, and the fact that I I don't even really want to give them away. Usually I like to give my work away, but with the wooden things, I'm like, no, I'm keeping <laughs> this is mine um just having that taking back some of that territory even though you know it wasn't ripped from you from the beginning with that's been the interest there is just the only one that exists it's been really fun
0: so you've got two boys right mm-hmm. yeah. Have you started doing things with them
1: we draw the older one isaac he'll be 6 soon is much better at drawing than I was. I have those some of those drawings from when I was his age. He he draws very, very well. But he's also so much fun to watch kids draw when they're that age because they're not self-conscious yet. They're not thinking about, am I a good drawer? They just want to draw what they're thinking about. And so that quickness, they're just so fast and loose because they're not in their own heads at all. Watching him do that is so much fun and just his weird solutions to problems or like what he can't... That's all we're doing too. It's just like you're trying to figure out how to draw what you can't draw yet or you just know you can't draw the thing. So what am I going to do instead? They're doing so much of that and the corrections and weird course changes that they're doing inside a drawing is just it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, that's been great. I don't read them in my own books and we don't talk about stories and stuff as much. My book that I have coming out this summer called The Skull is a longer one. And Isaac, the older one, talked about that a little bit. We I couldn't, as speaking of which, I couldn't draw that has some perspective in it. It's meant to be a bit of an older slightly older book than the other ones. And so I thought that the story needed actual rooms and perspective and forest drawings and things that felt a little bit more involved than what I normally do. And it'd been a while since I'd drawn that stuff. So to help me, I built little sets that I phone photographed and then used those phone photographs that had little Lego men in them. And I built some of the rooms with Lego. And then I, but for the forest, I just grabbed a piece of styrofoam and stuck sticks in it that we'd found as a forest just to get my bearings inside a drawing. So I wasn't spending my morning, you know, drawing a perspective grid or something. I could start with a picture instead but Isaac and I would go out and find skull sticks and make these forests and they didn't need to be anything designed they just needed a start and so we got to make that stuff together and that was really fun and then I showed him the book later he's like there's our sticks and I was like yeah pretty much there's the sticks and that was really fun to do so he's involved that way and then now I think he's in kindergarten and the show came out and some of his friends watched the show and I got to bring the puppets in and show the class and stuff and so he's beginning to understand that this is something that I don't just do in the garage I think that it has (laughs) it goes out a little bit but I think I would have blamed them. I I don't want them to feel like it's strange making things for kids when you have kids because I'm not even thinking about them really when I'm making it. Not yet. I didn't, especially in the last few years. But now maybe they're old enough where you're like, well, he would like this. But that's not what happened when we had kids. I, I didn't change my focus to just make things for them the way you hear about other authors doing. I remember reading that about Watership Down that Richard Adams had basically written that because he just told his kids stories in the evenings and he just wrote them down. I think isn't that how a lot of that stuff starts? And that hasn't happened yet. I, I'm too nervous to bounce stuff off of them and to ask what they think. I wonder if that's going to change as they get older. They probably will because they'll just start asking questions more often. But so far, it's been very separate, the two things.
0: I love that you brought up uh, your next book because I saw some of the images you shared and it looks amazing. And I love that it's oh, a bit good. different as well, like you said. When did you start thinking about it?
1: Years ago. I read a folktale in Alaska in a library. I was doing an event up there and I was waiting at the library. And so I was just, I went to the folk section. I usually gravitate towards the folk section of any book collection. And I was just reading these quick folk stories. And this one was in, like, I think it was a younger book, like Ghosts and Goblins and things like that. But I looked at the, table of contents. And there was one story just called The Skull. And I was like, well, that is an amazing title. I don't care what the story is. That's a great title for anything. And so I turned to it and just read it It was like three or four pages long. And then I shut the book and I had my event. So I put the thing back on the shelf and ran off. And then on the plane on the way home, I was like, that wasn't bad, though. Not bad. And then like, did that for a few more months until I finally wrote the library saying like, I read a skull story in one of your books. <laughs> Can you find this? And they did. They found it. And I read it and I it had been a year since I'd done it, since I'd read that book. And I had changed the story in my head completely. I'd read it so quickly, it was more of an impression. I'd remembered how it started, but I hadn't remembered the ending at all. And I, in my head, I'd changed it. I expected to read what I'd remembered, but I'd, I was reading something totally different at the end. But I thought about my version a lot. And I thought, that's worth doing, though. And if this is a sort of an unknown story, I would have more license to change it the way I wanted to. If it had been a better known story, maybe it would have been a bigger deal that I would wanted to sort of screw with the ending as much. The story is about a little girl who runs away and she finds this house in the woods that night that this skull lives in and the skull has been there for a long time as a just a disembodied skull he rolls around he can't even float or anything he's he can roll and it's not great way to get around and so when they meet in this house he asks for her help right away to carry him around but he's been there for a long time he's very lonely and she's having run away from home the two of them they get along right away in my story especially but they're both you know going through some pretty emotional stuff she's left this really traumatic situation at home that warranted running away forever and the skull is like deep in the the depths of being cursed and lonely and finally met someone who doesn't scream and run away. And so they're both going through this stuff that's very emotional. But visually, in my conception, they're both very blank. Otilla is a very brave girl, it turns out, and very stoic by now. She's had to weather a lot. And so she's not this overly emotional, at least visual, visually. She's almost statuesque. And the skull itself, is, in my mind, doesn't move at all. He can roll, but his facial expression, I think, should stay completely blank. And so we had this story visually that even though it was very emotional, it's almost like a love story. The two of them are very, very good friends and they fall for each other that way. I got to do that, but not have to draw over emotional characters. The two of them just move around the story in in a very almost blank way. And so I thought I could do that. I can draw that. I think between the writing that I'm interested in and then how I would visually illustrate this, I think I'm suited to the story. And so you sort of have to do that, or at least I'd do that, where it's like, just because you like a story, like you have to make, you have to do yourself a favor in what you're choosing to draw, too. You have to draw what you think you, you, you're going to enjoy drawing, you're able to draw. So this story had all that. And it also had more opportunity for mood than my other books have had, I think, or at least my own ones where there was, you know, it's a bit of a ghost story. It's kind of a creepy one. And so you get to put that in and the drawings get more involved. And I've always wanted to do that. And the age that it's for, it's a little older, slightly, second, third grade, probably, maybe first grade. It's about 110 pages, but big type on the page. So not a lot of reading. But the kind of book, the size of book that it was is the kind of book that I remember reading when I was younger, when I was little, my memories of my affection for books. I had some picture books and I liked them, but my when I really fell in love with books was at this age, for this particular kind of reader, this age of reader. And so it, it felt good too to finally do one for that age rather than slightly younger than, I think my picture books are mostly aimed at second, third graders anyway, even though those guys aren't really reading books, picture books as much anymore. I find we usually connect best with that age. And so finally doing one for them felt like really cool. It felt really fun.
0: Okay. Last question, because I feel like otherwise we're going to be here for hours. And I'm sure you've got (laughs) a life to live. No, Um, it's not. But I want to know, because you, I mean, you're very prolific. You do a lot of things, which is really cool, because we get to see them, because you share them on your crazy Instagram. Um, (laughs) But I want to know, like, if they're still... I mean, I'm sure you're working, I mean, you're always working on your projects, but is there something you've never done that you, you'd really want to do or like a, a field you'd want to go in? Uh, I don't know.
1: Theater, mm-hmm. for sure. I don't know how exactly, but I started, my very, very first job was a, like a co-op with with high school. They've got you placements in fields you'd want to go into. And I, I checked the art box and the only art placement in town, it was in Niagara, Southern Ontario. So there wasn't a lot of art, I guess, but they have a theater company called the Shaw Theater. And I got a job with them in the set building department. And it was this big warehouse apart from the theater where they would paint big backdrops and sets and things. Then would go install them. And my job was mostly to, to paint things black. There was metal that held, holds everything up and I had to paint it black so it wouldn't catch the light. That was my job. I didn't have anything creative to do. But it was extremely informative. I remember going to the theater to set it up and we were putting all these pieces they'd been painting, they were setting them up finally, I got to see where they would go. They were all skewed. I thought we'd been making an interior of the house. It was something like that. And then they were bending everything. They were slaying it out towards the audience instead. It wasn't what I thought were 90 degree angles and things. And we talked about it. And I was like, I didn't think it was gonna go this way. I didn't think it was gonna be, and even the doors were a little bit off and everything was a little bit off. The lady said, well, this is because, you know, someone sitting in the audience over there, they wanna see the person come in the door. and so. We have to bend it towards them to do that. And that was so huge for me in my head about what I like to do and how I even like to write and everything. It still continues. The idea of that the people in the theater know that they're in a theater. No one's thinking they're, you know, they're not trying, you're suspending disbelief in a, in a huge way to be there. You know, you're sitting next to a hundred people watching this thing or whatever it is. And you know, the door is bent to you and you know that they've just walked in from backstage. And yet... We're all in agreement that this is we're going to do this anyway. it's we're we're all in this presentation together. And the combination of the fakery of that that it's not real and you know it's not real, but that you can get very emotional anyway, and you can even be spontaneous. The acting can be spontaneous. They can make different loose decisions in that performance that night. That combination of things is so much a part of how I even make picture books that you can have this place that doesn't quite feel real. Most of my picture books feel like that, especially the last one, the Rock from the Sky, where it just felt like, I'm not trying to convince you this is a real place, but we're going to do this anyway. And you even take advantage of the fact that they're sort of shouting across stage space and that they're limited by that stage and the opportunities there even for jokes or for relationships to happen inside this closed off space. It's so much about how I like to think about stories as soon as I limit it to a stage. And so I feel like I've been writing for stages even though I'm not I don't have a stage I get my picture books instead but I'm always excited when the stuff gets adapted into stage things because that's I think it's in there and my favorite writing when I was you know in high school and college was always reading plays and that way of exposing a story like you say the exposition in a play has to be on the go or it doesn't have to be I guess the chorus can come out and say something and explain it but even that's very exciting all those devices that theater has to deliver information to the audience in a very fake yet not fake way is so exciting and so eventually it'd be fun even stage design is really really exciting all of that stuff is the limitations of it would be so exciting to work with
0: i can't wait to see what you do with that
1: (laughs) i don't know if anyone's ever gonna gonna let me do it but it's in my mind it'd be fun yeah it
0: just happen when it's meant to happen you're already thinking you've you know it's like what you were saying and i think that's what's so interesting about the creative process is that we spend so much time of our lives thinking about loads of different things and then We don't do anything about it. And then five years later, we do. And it's always there. It's like.
1: Yeah. And it's informing the work anyway. And you're, I think it does. You do find it working in creative things. If your mind is on it. I remember hearing that like in driving school, you should always look to where you want to go. Because if you look another way you'll just steer that way anyway and that just seems how how it is with creative work too is that even for good in a good way if you're looking a certain way you'll drive there and even if you're not if you think you're going the other way if your eyes are out there you're gonna that the car gonna go that way
0: <laughs> i didn't i didn't hear that about driving school i know that about horse riding i always know that oh really horse riding yeah because the horse will feel it's a buddy position thing as well the horse
1: feels you shift your weight sort of
0: yeah well they will they just feel it that you're
1: they just feel that you're looking that I way
0: know. yeah i just remember. i then, like
1: that metaphor before very much like like that sort of that your your creative work and even your brain that works on these things is the detachment and attachment relationship between you and a horse that you're not totally in control of and is much stronger than you actually but that can feel the intellectual part of whoever trying to steer it, look a certain way, and respond innately. That's a, that's very nice. I like that.
0: Oh, it was so nice chatting with you. And you too. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to read the score when it comes out in July and watch more episodes of Shape Island. Oh, Maybe we'll do thank you so one. much
1: for having me. Yeah. Thank
0: you, and have a good day, and we'll chat soon. I'm sure. You too. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you want to know more about Mimi, then head out to mimiforcreatives.com and make sure to check the show notes for more details about our guest. I'll see you soon.